Welcome to the Evolution 2.0 podcast, where we explore the intersection of art, technology, business, biology, and spirituality. Here, you'll discover new trends in evolution that are changing the way we think about everything. This is your host, Perry Marshall, author of Evolution 2.0, 80-20 Sales and Marketing, and guides to Ethernet, Google, and Facebook. I'm founder of the Evolution 2.0 Prize, a quest for the missing link between Earth science, the information age, and life itself. Let's join the conversation now. Hi, this is Perry Marshall, and I want to share my friend Rob Berkeley with you. Rob died at the end of 2018 of cancer, and he was one of my dearest business mentors and a really extraordinary human being. When you would sit down with Rob and have a conversation with him, you would feel like an intense heat lamp was shining on you because he was so dialed into the conversation and so attentive. In my business group with Victor Ching and Rob Berkeley, it was like having, you know, Victor was like Stephen Hawking and Rob was like Oprah. And what I'm sharing with you today is his last interview which he did with his wife's business group, Women on Fire. And they discuss what it was like to face a cancer diagnosis and live through it together joyfully. Enjoy this. So just so we can set the scene for everyone, where in the world are you both coming to us from today? We're on Martha's Vineyard, and I am in our little makeshift studio where we do our live chats. I love that. And for the sake of anyone who is new to Women on Fire and tuning into one of these amazing interviews for the first time, Debbie, do you mind giving us the quick story of how you and Rob met? You always tell it so beautifully. <laughs> he's, la he's laughing. Well, I tell this to women all of the time when, you know, if you're looking for a relationship, you only need one. And it can happen in the blink of an eye. And for me, it happened in the blink of an eye and that Rob and I were on a business conference call. And when I heard his voice, I just realized that this man was so smart, so interesting, and I couldn't take my attention off of him. So while we ended up and became friends from that phone call, friends for like a year and a half, you know, was it romantic? It was just friends. So in the blink of an eye, I met him on a business conference call and that started everything going. I love that. And when was the moment that you, you knew that you wanted to really be in a relationship with Rob? <laughs> well, I think because as I got to know Rob and how wise he was and smart he was and interesting he was, I think probably it was, it was a good you know, it was kind of a year into it or so. I, I was thinking, wow. And I was dating other people and I thought, wow, I wish they were more like Rob. And then the famous story when I really realized it is Rob and I were doing business together. I was working, he was working with some of my companies as a coach. I was working uh, with his company as a coach. And we were one day discussing our clients as we often did. And he came um, to visit me. And when he left, my doorman called me over to his desk and he said, you know, I never say anything to you about the men you date. And I said, Quentin, I'm not dating that man. He's my, he's my business associate. And Quentin was not to be messed with. And he shook his head and he goes, I just want you to know with that man, you have soul force. 
And and it was such a powerful statement. And I, of course, I stood there protesting. I'm not dating him. He's just a friend. And Quentin told me, you know, get out of here. And the moment I got in the elevator, I remember like my head like hit the wall. And I was like, no, 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 no. I don't want to get involved with him. (laughs) And then six weeks later, we decided that, uh, yes, we actually do love each other and <laughs> are attracted to each other. You guys couldn't deny the soul force. You couldn't deny the soul force. That's I true. That. And so how long have you two been married? <laughs> Rob is still shell-shocked. 11 years. Oh, I love that. And so you both are currently going through what could really only be described as one of the hardest and most devastating experiences that any couple can go through. And do both of you mind sharing with everyone what's going on? Well, uh, what's going on for me is I was diagnosed with gastric cancer last September, and I'm undergoing my second round of chemotherapy right now to see if we can stabilize the cancer. Uh, It's progressed relatively aggressively, and it does not have a good prognosis as this cancer does not. It's an orphan cancer. Uh, There are only about 27,000 cases a year. And there are very few targeted treatments for it and very few experts. In fact, maybe there are no experts. So that's the current situation. And we have moved back to Martha's Vineyard. The Martha's Vineyard Hospital has been able to support us brilliantly which is so fabulous. And uh, Debbie is my number one caregiver. And we'll talk a lot about that. But uh, thank you, because Meredith is here with us right now as a secondary caregiver, which brings (laughs) sunshine to the world. That's for sure. Well, I think, you know, like many, many diagnoses, uh, Rob just wasn't feeling well. And we thought, oh, maybe it's an ulcer, maybe it's gallstones. And, you know, it took quite a while before we figured out that it was indeed this very, very serious diagnosis. And I think back to that day of having a doctor just simply walk into the room and say, I'm sorry, I'm really sorry, I'm really, 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 really sorry. And I think our heads were just spinning because it was like, what, 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 you know, could this possibly be when we were expecting an ulcer or, you know, something of the sort that could just be fixed very quickly. So, you know, for anybody who's listening to get a serious diagnosis like that, that is really, you know, quite traumatizing. And thus began, you know, our adventure into a medical world that we weren't familiar with. Nor prepared for nor prepared for. Although because we are coaches and because Rob is so, you know, like Rob very quickly, we, you know, we took some time and Rob said, you know, let's just make a plan, which Rob always does. And our plan, you know, consisted of a number of things. And one of them was that we were going, you know, we were going to get the best care that we could we were going to live our life as normally as possible, yes. which included, you know, at that point moving to Boston so we could be near the treatments and Rob and I both continued the work that we have. What else did we say that was part of our plan? An adventure. An adventure. And we did. That's the third part of our plan. 
You know, thank you for reminding me about that. But that was the first thing that Debbie and I did was we, and we've talked about this before in other interviews, we sat down, we took a breath, we made a plan. And then we started to work the plan. And that was almost a year ago at this point. And if we had not had that plan, I would have felt that this year of my life had been wasted in large part. Uh, I feel that via having a very detailed and comprehensive plan, it was really only about seven words, allowed us to get maximum joy and fulfillment from our time together, which we still are doing. And so for anybody that's going through a situation like this, as miserable, as painful, as scary, as sad as it is, you can have incredible joy and happiness and fun and adventure and normalcy. And it can be normal too. Not all the time, but they can have some great normal moments. So I just wanted to say that. Well, and something funny for us is that we have never had a television in our bedroom and we don't watch television. And so in our furnished apartment in Boston over the months that we lived there, we had like three or four televisions in this little two bedroom, two bath apartment. And so for us, part of the adventure and the joy was all these years we've heard people talk about Mad Men and all these shows and Rob and I every night would watch television and the cat, the cat would sit at the end of the bed and watch TV with us. So, you know, to Rob's point about the fun is we watched all 92 episodes of Mad Men. Uh, what else did we watch? Mrs. Oh, the, Mad the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Mrs. Maisel, which we uh, loved. And that was pretty much all we watched. Well, those are two great ones. Those are the best. They're great shows. I love that. Well, just kind of going off of everything that you guys have shared so far, I mean, I can say firsthand that watching you two really just love and care for one another throughout all of this has been really a very, very profound learning experience. And I have a question that I would love for both of you to answer. So I'll just start with Debbie. How has this all changed your relationship? You know, it's funny. There's a part of me that doesn't want to say this, but it's the truth. It was the best year of our life and our marriage. And so we have been together for 20 years and married for 11. And this year we grew closer. We had, we, you know, all these things that we're saying, we actually had fun. Every moment became really valuable and nobody can look, you know, there, there's this really great quote that says there's two things you can't look at with the naked eye for long, the sun and death. And we're all going to die. But when our time is potentially shortened and death becomes part of your life, you can't just look at it all the time, but yet it helps to focus. And so I think this year has just been the most amazing, magical, deep. Uh, there's no room for stuff that's petty. There's no room for stuff that doesn't matter. It's a very powerful stacking and sorting. And it came down to just a lot of us just enjoying the company of each other, enjoying great food when Rob was able to eat well, which was most of the time, although the treatments, you know, affected his ability to really enjoy the kinds of food that he, who is such a great foodie, uh, normally enjoys. But we just took great pleasure in the simple things of 
walking through the Boston Public Garden, holding hands, just enjoying each other's company. You know, I'd have to say that everything that Debbie said, our relationship has always been good. Hey, we have the normal issues, we have conflict, uh, we have disagreements, and we've talked about this on many other Women on Fire programs. But what this has done at this point is, at least for me, caused me to ask the question, am I squeezing every drop of love out of my heart mm. that I possibly can in this moment when I'm with Debbie? Am I displaying the gratitude that I feel? Am I expressing the love that I feel, the care that I feel, the comfort that I get from her care? Am I communicating that to her? And so the change would be, am I more of an active communicator of the magic that she brings to my life? And that's what I would say. This is why we love you so much. This is why I love you so much. And you did, you succeeded. You know, honestly, you made my year heaven on earth in what could be a traumatic, horrifying hell. You did that, Rob, and you were really, even to this day, you know, a day doesn't go by that you don't say to me, you know, how are you doing? You know, you're caring about how I'm feeling throughout all of this. And I know that takes a lot of energy to even think about, but I feel very much a focus of, of your energy and, and love. And you're squeezing out the love. <laughs> well, it takes no energy to see how you're doing. Aww. That is not an energy-sucking activity. In fact, it's very easy because I care so much. But that's really... I mean, we can go down a long road in this. We'll get particularly mushy. No need. What's your next question, Mary? <laughs> I want to say something. I want to go back if it's okay. I want to say something about in the beginning of this, because so many times people do receive a diagnosis and it's very, as Rob pointed out, it's scary. It's uncertain. There is always the possibility of healing and or some sort of miracle if the diagnosis is really, you know, a bleak one. And many, many, many people are healed, but at the beginning they don't know. And I think one of the most important things that I learned, and I learned it from a man who has been my longtime therapist and who I interviewed at Women on Fire, Dr. Norman Schub, who was with us in the beginning once we found out our diagnosis, and he told us something so invaluable. He said, if you keep repeating the story over and over about your cancer, you will get post-traumatic stress syndrome. Yes, he said that. I was already getting it in the first few weeks because I'd had to repeat the story so often and I was living it 24 seven. And maybe you too, Rob. I don't remember if you were feeling that anxiety that I was. The same way, but... I was just like, I'm tired of this already. 
Right. <laughs> right. And so for anybody just knowing that, like it really gave me permission and Norman was very clear. He's like, you have to minimize the amount that you tell the whole world and discuss it. And so we, we tried to, in the beginning, just put out one email, you know, every so often to, to give an update. Cause we know there are so many people who love and care, but it's all the individual stories repeating over and over and over this story that, that really can cause some problems. That's just such a valuable tip, Debbie, and something that's so important to remember, even with it, you know, not being related to death or a diagnosis or something along those lines, but just any type of obstacle or big challenge or tragedy that's coming up right. and presenting challenges. But I think I've had the extreme, extreme privilege of getting to love and care for you both over the past week. And I can say that it really feels like you two have never been stronger. And how have you been able to stay so sturdy and so connected in the face of so much uncertainty and not knowing how, you know, how and when and where and what's coming down the road? Wow. That's such a great question. A great question. And I think the first step in doing that is to say everything. Mm. Say everything whenever it occurs. Like there are moments for me of great embarrassment and great shame because there's certain things I can't do for myself. I just have to say it. I say, I'm so ashamed I can't do this, or I'm so embarrassed I can't do this. I think step one is to say it all. And the positive too, thank you. Wow, that was amazing. That lasagna tonight was delicious. It was, the garlic toast. Awesome, out of this world. But to say it all, no like, oh, I can't say this because I'm gonna hurt Debbie's feelings. Like Debbie went out of her way to make French toast this morning. <laughs> Right? Yep. And you really worked hard at it. And I gave instructions and you followed the instructions and you brought it up and you gave me a beautiful forkful and I took a bite of it and I went, Ew, <laughs> it's mushy. <laughs> it didn't quite work out. But if I had edited myself, I would have created a distance between the two of us. This way, if she was upset, she could have said, Wow, that hurts my feelings. Or, shit, you know, I really mean, I cooked that French toast for 45 minutes and I sauteed it and I used a special torch and blah, blah, blah. <laughs> Whatever. But instead it was right there on the table and we could deal with it instantaneously. And so the first and foremost thing is to say everything instantly. Which actually is a good thing for any relationship. If you're going to be in a relationship to be able to say what is in the moment to your partner, is everything and that will grow you closer. The second thing is when Debbie has an offer for me, meaning some little article to read or a video clip, whenever I can, whenever I have the energy, I'll receive that, even though I don't want to at times because it's important to her. And so to receive an offer from your partner and what's his name talks about this a lot. It was John, John Gottman. John Gottman talks about this a lot. When you receive an offer, you deepen your relationship. And so that's the second thing I do. Now, why don't you take over and add a couple more? 
Wow. <laughs> well, and that narrative is what I think's made the difference, that kind of depth. And Rob, you have done that. I would say that is one of the hallmarks of this last year. You haven't held back. And what that's really done for me, it really has strengthened me. It rarely offends me. It makes me just know exactly where you stand. And so... Vice versa. Thank you. Yeah, so this clear and direct with being compassionate with each other, but being clear and direct. Yeah, I didn't say uh, this. You're mean. You're never mean about about. I didn't say this French toast tastes like it came out of. You know. I think you said it. This French toast tastes like shit. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> you might have. It was okay. I laughed. It was actually funny because I was like, I was. I, I made me laugh because you are really. I appreciate you being so honest, and I know that we have grown because of that. And you're never mean, so. And I want to appreciate how you, well you received it this morning. <laughs> we worked it out. We did. We worked it out. And you still ate your French toast and you were happy. Actually, after you ate it all, you were like, oh, that was pretty good. <laughs> it's after the syrup, like uh, the syrup yeah. that <laughs> Schilbach gave us. You uh, drowned it in syrup and that was good. Magical. <laughs> syrup will fix any, any mistake, any of my culinary errors. <laughs> Um, I interrupted you, I'm sorry. No, I'm just trying to think of what, well, I think what's strengthened is that I know with your limited energy, everything that you do to keep our bonds strong and to keep our life normal. So all of you know that Rob makes me stinky coffee every morning. And the fact that it's very, very difficult for you to do that, but you continue to do that. And even if you have a day or two that you don't do it, you're instructing me on the exact amount of grams and water. <laughs> to... coffee is chemistry. It's not culinary. It's chemistry. <laughs> but even, yes, that's exactly right. Just those sorts of things that you make the effort, even in this dreadful, horrible illness, which is not you. It's this thing that has taken over your body. Remember back in the days when we used to call it Boris, when Boris oh, you know, invaded your body, you still are you and doing the things that keep us strong. So those things are what matter to me and goes a very long way of strengthening us. Well, thank you for saying that. And Meredith, I've taught Meredith how to measure the grams now too. So <laughs> 44 tonight, kiddo. There's backup now. I'm ready. I'm prepared. <laughs> and she can feed the cat, too, which really is helping a lot. <laughs> it was funny. Darren, our assistant, said, you know, in situations like this, the little things become really big things. And so the helping of, you know, you coming in, Meredith, feeding the cat, feeding us, you know, emptying a dishwasher is huge because it just, you know, everything takes energy. And really helpful. Oh, thanks for saying Oh, that it does. Well, I think, thank you guys for sharing all of those. I think they're super helpful. And kind of following up to that, what would be some of the biggest mistakes that a couple can make when they are going through intense grief and or, you know, facing really enormous obstacles? Well, we can make it simple and just go back and un- like reverse some of the tips we just gave, right? Withhold, don't appreciate, be mean without compassion, 
Do not express your gratitude. Don't share your thoughts and feelings. All those things. If you do that in any relationship, I guarantee your relationship will suck. And if your relationship sucks, it's probably because of one of those things that you're doing, or many of them at one time. But it's the inverse of all the stuff that we've talked about. It's uh, not dwelling on the thing. It doesn't deserve it. It's having a plan, not going into it without a plan, like a wild person and start chopping down trees and running around like a crazy maniac. You have, well, to, have to have a plan. Go ahead, honey. Yeah, Rob, right, you know, to your point, and I remember when shortly, uh, you know, within hours or days of this diagnosis, you said, we're not gonna run around in the woods like crazy people. We're gonna sit down and we're gonna figure it out. Because what happens when you run around in the woods, you know, your chances of <laughs> you know, not eating or getting killed are, are a lot greater. Cut your leg off. Cut your leg off. Yeah. That's great. I love that, you guys. Gotta have plans, everyone make sure. Yeah. Well, and, and just because I've been part of some groups that uh, deal with this particular cancer, and so I've seen all kinds of situations, family situations of dealing with this. One of the things I, I've said to Rob that's made me really sad are the couples who really had a bad relationship and then they got the diagnosis and then they tried to stay together. And what I saw in there was a lot of resentment and blame. And so I think that's also part of those things that would blow people apart is if there's any sort of resentment or blame or I don't get to live the life that I want to live because he or she has this diagnosis. And as horrifying as that sounds, it's actually pretty prevalent when, you know, when, if people don't go into this with some strength. Or support. Support. So, you know, to just put a capper on Mara's question, no support, no success. You don't have support, you will fail. You will crash and burn, and you will live a life of misery. If you have support, it will lift you on the wings of angels, which ours have. Well, and, you know, there's been no bigger group of angels than the Women on Fire community. Been By the way, Women on Fire, thank you. I know those videos weren't for me specifically, but I saw every single one of them, and they were magnificent. In fact, I think you all should make more videos. <laughs> for your self-expression as a way of expressing yourself in the world it's a beautiful tool and it works for you your spark comes through just wanted to say that and let you know from the bottom of my heart how deeply i appreciate each and every one of you and the time you took and the discomfort you faced looking in that little peephole which i face myself and i totally understand and for bringing it home and for pushing the publish button, as Seth would say. <laughs> yep, Seth Godin would say that, that's right. That's beautiful, Rob, and I, I feel the same way, and many of those videos, if not most, if not all, were for you and me, and that was really a precious, precious gift, and photos, photos too. I love the hashtag photos for Rob, or photos for Rob and Debbie, it's really beautiful. Oh, they're very healing, thank you all. Mm -hmm. I love that. 
And so you guys have been going through this since last September and a lot has happened. There's been a lot of ups and downs since the diagnosis. And have there ever been days where you felt like you wanted to give up? I'll let Rob answer that. I've never, ever once thought or felt that I would give up. Hard question, but thank you, honey. Debbie, honey. There have been days when I felt like giving up. My hands don't work or my feet don't work. I feel like quitting. But you know what? Does make sense. And you're always there with a little spark of hope to get me back on track. So all I have to do is say, hey, this totally sucks. I feel like giving up and you go, I hear you. I hear you want to give up. I understand. Just let me know when you're ready. But maybe today is not the day. And that's how we work it out. Those are the words. And that makes a huge difference and I get back on track because I never quit anything in my life. That's not true. I quit some stuff. I quit tennis team. <laughs> that's, because you're, that's because your ACL ruptured or you would never quit. <laughs> Whatever. I, I, did, I don't quit. Yeah. I'm not going to quit this. But boy, there are days when I feel like quitting because it gets really, really shitty. Like all the little things. And basically, for anybody that has somebody in a family that's going through something like this, these illnesses turn you into a giant baby. They force you back into the world of fundamental needs, sleeping, eating, drinking, going to the bathroom. All those things become inordinately complicated and they start to stop working right. If they're not working right, you can't be comfortable. If you can't be comfortable, it's hard to fight on. And so, I mean, I'm lucky. I have incredible care, incredible, from Debbie, from Meredith, from hospice, from the hospital here, incredible care. But if there's somebody in your life that's going through this, remember, it makes them into a baby. And they're going to behave like a baby now and then because there's nothing worse than not being able to go to the bathroom by yourself, right? Or go to the bathroom at all. Or to make your food. Or to eat. Or when you spill food on yourself to wipe yourself off. All those things. It gets pretty crazy. So just remember you've got a giant baby on your hands. That's me. <laughs> well, I want to thank you for letting me take care of you because it has been my honor to take care of you and to be at your side and to have you allow me to do this because it has healed a part of me that makes me feel even more whole to be able to care for you in this way. You are such a dynamic, strong, powerful, really person on your own before this you know you were such an individual and a great partner and at the same time you're really so incredibly strong and I wasn't ever able to take care of you in this way and maybe it's even a surprise to me but I actually love caring for you and it's an honor 
Well, thank you. I, I have to say it's been, uh, you know, Meredith, you didn't get to this question yet, if you had it. It's been the biggest revelation for me how little love I allowed into my life before this and how loved I am and how much there is and how like your caregiving, Debbie's caregiving, at first I hated it because it meant I was a helpless baby. But now it really fills me up every day and I feel so privileged. And you're an incredible caregiver. I mean, anybody, you should pay to be caregived by Debbie Phillips. Because <laughs> it's an insane, <laughs> wait, that's like women on fire, isn't that what it is now? It's an incredible experience. And you are so caring and so tender and so gentle with me that it makes it easy. Okay. It makes this horrendous, unpleasant, stupid, meaningless thing tolerable. So thank you. My pleasure. And it makes me feel really, really good. And I also think that part of this journey, you know, we are seeing where you, you know, you are today, but over the course of this time, you know, I have sobbed and cried and felt like my world was going to come apart and you comforted me every step of the way. You held me when you couldn't hold me any longer. You know, I laid my head in your lap and you, you know, you comforted me in every way. You were always there for me doing that. So I think in the way of us caregiving for each other through this, it's been really powerful and it's been reciprocating. So it's just a different way of caregiving, <laughs> but it's all the same and it's all an exchange of love. It is an exchange of love. Thank you. So as you guys all know, at Women on Fire, it's really all about inspiration, strategies and support. And so I really, as we're coming to an end here, kind of just want to touch on the support aspect and this whole community that surrounds you and what have you found to be most helpful while going through this? I think for me, I found there's a saying, stay close and do nothing. And I think that all of the people in there have been so many who just have stayed close. And then there have been these moments when I really needed something. And so the messages that come that say, you know, I love you, I'm thinking about you, or, you know, is there anything that you need today? Or one day I said to Rob, Rob wanted beef noodle soup, and I went to check my phone, and a friend said, I'm at the grocery store, could I get ingredients to make you something? And I'm like, yeah, beef noodle soup, <laughs> or beef and rice soup, whatever it was that day. And so this sort of notion of just stay close and do nothing but be ready to help, that's been extremely helpful to me along the way. What isn't helpful are the dozens and dozens of messages. How is Rob today? How are you today? What's going on? Uh, what's the latest? Like, I can't answer that 40 times a day and um, or even a week or, you know, that's not helpful. But what is helpful are those statements of, 
just love and support. I'm here. I'm here. I will do anything that you need or the specific, um, you know, I'm here, you know, do you need dinner? That's so helpful, Debbie. Thank you. I think those strategies and ways to really support someone when they're going through any type of hard situation are really, really helpful. And so before we go, I really don't want to ask this question, but if I'm being vulnerable and transparent, it is on my mind and I'm sure that it's on the mind of some of you who are listening and Rob, this is for you. And it's, are you afraid to die? Well, that's quite a question. And thank you for asking it because I don't mind talking about it. Am I afraid to die? Of course, because I don't know what's coming. And I've spoken to quite a few people. No one else seems to know quite what's coming either. But am I, do I live in dread, fear of death? Absolutely not. I'm ready when that time comes to have that experience. Part of what I've asked my teachers, my own teachers in this time, is to help me get ready to make it the most meaningful experience possible, regardless of what it is. And so I'm ready, I'm in no hurry, I'm scared, I'm not in dread. I have no like underlying terror of it. I'm ready. I'm not excited about it. I could be honest with you about that. There are other things I would rather do than die. But I have lived an incredible life. And it continues. As you have all heard today, the last year has been a great year. It's been a great year. And so I welcome what comes. I just want to be ready. And there's very little place to figure out, to learn how to be ready. So if you've got work to do, help people learn how to get ready. Because I'm not quite sure I know what I'm doing. Although I do have some instructions and I am practicing and I am getting ready as best I can. And I will take whatever comes. But I'm not rushing down that hallway. I'm going to hang on here as long as I can and keep hoping for a miracle. Right? Right. Yeah. Keep right. hoping for a miracle. And, and then I, deal with whatever comes and I'll just deal with it. And I think in my own practice as the partner here, as you know, with this being the person I love most in the in the whole world, I too am thinking, how can I make it comfortable? How can I make his transition, while I don't want it to come either, how can I prepare for it so that he's at peace and he's calm and deeply satisfied? And there aren't very many answers. And fortunately, um, you know, Rob and I are huge proponents of hospice and they've been enormously helpful to us about what to expect. And almost my entire life, I have had grief and death as sort of a subtitle of all of my work because I'm still astounded how we do not deal 
every one of us dies. You know, there, a lot of times people will go, if I die, she can have my jewelry. Well, there isn't an if I die. <laughs> this is Everybody dies. Everybody dies. And you don't know when it's going to come. What, honey, what? You don't know when it's going to happen. It could come like a meteorite. It could take forever. Who knows? You may have a lingering death. You may have an instantaneous death. But there's nothing better than having a ready death. <laughs> Go ahead, honey. Well, that is such a powerful thing to say. There's nothing better than having a ready, a ready death. I also think that something Rob and I did that I think every couple should do is, and you can just Google hospice five wishes, are these five questions that are really powerful around how you want to die. And we are such a death phobic society that we don't think about this, but there would be no better time than now if you're healthy and you're, you know, is to study these questions and begin to think about, you know, who you want to have with you, what you would want the circumstances to be, what you want to say to the people that you love that you leave behind. How do you want your body treated? You know, all these questions I thought were really incredibly powerful. And while Rob and I dreaded doing them at first, once we did them, we really got into them, didn't we? <laughs> that worked out great. It was actually... It wasn't fun, but it was kind of fun. <laughs> when we made it fun that night, we cried and we filled them out and we cried some more and we filled them out. We came up with some bizarre scenarios. <laughs> we did not write down. <laughs> well, that's the fun of it. <laughs> well, I just want to thank you both so, so incredibly much. We all love you immensely and... Thank you for your vulnerability and your love and inspiring us all. Well, thank you for being with us. I really want to thank Rob for all of the gifts that he has given to Women on Fire. You know, everything from great start to this very last speech or talk that he gave at the Women on Fire retreat in Miami about making the most of your magic and everything in between. And, you know, for all of us, no matter, you know, our lives all end, if we can give even a fraction of the gifts that you really have given, Rob, to us, what a great thing that is and a great accomplishment. So thank you from the bottom of my heart for how you have been the rock behind Women on Fire and bolstered what this community is all about. Thank you. I believe so deeply in Women on Fire, it's impossible to describe. But what the women have is something that doesn't exist anywhere else on the planet. Yep. And to see the results, from my perspective, it's extraordinary and so rewarding. And it makes me want to keep coming back and doing more. And I realize you don't want to hear from me every month because that's pretty boring. <laughs> I feel like there's so much more to talk about that I don't have time. But I'm going to do my best in the short amount of time I have to talk about more. So I hope this has been useful. I tried to share what was in my heart. Meredith, you did a beautiful job. And Debbie, as always, thank you for being such an incredible partner. 
So thank you, everybody. Thank you, Women on Fire. I cannot say how much I appreciate you and love you all. Until next time, this is the Evolution 2.0 podcast, bridging science, technology, business, and the big questions. To ensure you never miss an episode, subscribe on iTunes or on your preferred player. If you like the show, rate us on iTunes. Join our email list and social media at CosmicFingerprints.com. Thank you.